0: We come to our reading, and then I'll invite Andy up to bring the message to us. So, we're going to read from Galatians chapter 3, from verse 1 to 6. And it says this You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So we we'll invite Andy up. Lord, I pray for Andy as he brings your message to us. I pray that your words are his words, that he speaks uh, filled with the Spirit so that we may understand. Uh, And Lord, please, I pray that we can comprehend, understand and apply the truth to our lives. So Lord, be with Andy now as he speaks with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: My name's Andy Samuel, vicar just down the road at All Saints Leland. And uh, it's just a joy to have this partnership Uh, with you folks at Staines Congregational. We're just going to watch a very, very short video. One or two of you, if you've ever done the Christianity Explored course, might recognise this little snippet. And I'm hoping this wasn't your Christmas.
0: You can open your eyes now.
1: So, what
0: do you
1: think? How much do I have here? <laughs> as I say, I hope that wasn't a scene in any of your homes uh, this Christmas day. I, m- I mean, it would be heartbreaking, wouldn't it, if our kind of children turn around or uh, grandchildren uh, treating a gift as something that needs to be paid for. Uh, to try and pay for a gift. Would show a sort of fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of the relationship that we have with them. And uh, something of that danger is what the churchgoers in our Bible reading, Galatians 3, we're on uh, page 11, 69, something of the danger they were facing. And uh, I think it's recorded in Scripture because it may well be a danger that we are facing. We're facing in our hearts that we'll be facing in our congregations. Again, if you're a regular here, as I look out, I know uh, many of you are regulars, but I don't know if it's your first time or not. If you were here last week, you'll probably know that we're starting a a short series uh, about running the race. Uh, A number of times in the Bible, the Christian life is compared uh, to a race. And uh, as we've often done over the years, uh, in January, we've done a little pulpit swap uh, so uh, Keith Wilson from Ashford Congregational, I think he's coming next week, uh, me from Leylam uh, and Nick who I think is at Ashford this morning, uh, we each kind of swap round and we do a little series and it's on running the race. And as I say, I, I love our partnership together. Over the years there's been loads of stuff uh, that we've done. There have been those mission weeks, Passion for Life, uh, perhaps you remember uh, those uh, every year, we've uh, shared in Sports Reach. Thank you for inviting us to, to share in that. That's been a, a, a real joy and a blessing for primary age children, youth work. Tori Butana Saver is coming to speak at Espresso Church. And again, I love the way that you uh, invite us and welcome us to that. I, I really, uh, It's a really precious relationship I've got with Nick and Keith. We meet uh, pretty regularly to just kind of share and to pray for one another. Uh, so I'm so grateful, but an underlying this partnership is not just that we get on, but it's a shared commitment to the gospel, to the scriptures, the Bible as God's inerrant word, our guide in, in uh, all matters of uh, uh, Christian un- belief and practice. As I say, the series this, uh, uh, this January, Running the Race, I think Nick last week was uh, on keeping going. Uh, we do, we're going to slightly backtrack I'm, I'm going to speak on getting started, and then Keith next week is on finishing well. Now, I actually think mine is the most important, starting well, um, because, because certainly this is going to be really important for anyone, if you're not yet a Christian, or perhaps you're not quite sure where you are, to make sure that you know, you've got over the start line, that you are actually in the right race. But as we're going to see, this actually applies to every believer. In fact, I think it's going to have some particular application for those of us that would say that we are keen Christians. We are wholehearted uh, believers. Because I think there is a constant pull, a constant pull to see Christianity as less of a gift to be received than as something to be earned or paid for. So the kind of more devout we are, uh, the more keen we are as a Christian, somehow we get kind of more benefit from God as a result. Well, let's have a look at our passage, see how the, the passage puts this contrast, key contrast. The great alternative It's there in verse 2, by the works of the law or by believing what you heard. That's the big alternative. Uh, it's repeated word for word verse 5 by the works of the law or by believing what you heard so uh, no wonder I think rightly uh, our church bibles the NIV uh, heads this paragraph or this section faith or works of the law that's the issue those are the alternatives is the Christian life one based on what we do that's works of the law or receiving what God has done for us believing what you heard let me just give you a bit of uh, a background to the context of our reading Paul's letter as you'll see across in uh, chapter 1 verse 2 is addressed to the churches in Galatia so probably that region around southern Turkey Paul had planted several churches there on his first missionary journey, places like Pisidian, Antioch, Lystra, Derby, Iconium. You can read about that in Acts uh, 13 and 14. And what is clear in this letter is that a serious doctrinal controversy has engulfed these young Galatian congregations. And Paul is really worried about it. You may be where normally he begins his letters with sort of complimentary remarks, prayerful good wishes. Here he launches straight in with a really, it's an impassioned rebuke. You might have a look at verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Well, what was it that uh, these rivals were teaching that, would, that, that is generating such passion and concern? Well, Paul doesn't tell us directly. We've got to kind sort of work it out. Uh, by way of his reply so it's a bit like listening you know to someone on the phone you've got to try and work out what the other person is saying to them from the replies one thing that i think is really clear is it revolves around the place of old testament laws Uh, near the end of the letter uh, chapter 6 verse 12 paul says explicitly they are trying to compel you to be circumcised now, when Paul had founded these churches, not that long ago, he had taught with crystal clarity that Gentile converts, so people who weren't Jews, so that's the, 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 everyone else who wasn't a Jew, Gentile converts who become believers, become Christians, are accepted, fully accepted into the full fellowship of the church on the basis of faith in Christ alone without any additional legal requirements deriving from the Old Testament. But what seems to be the case was that for some Jewish believers, this was just too radical, too radical a break. So uh, some groups of conservative Jewish Christians emerged who began to oppose Paul at this point and insist that Gentile Christians must also be circumcised and obey some of the other distinctive laws of Moses, particularly around food. We get a little insight into what they were teaching. Don't turn to it, but in Acts chapter 15, verse one, we hear their message, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So they were saying if you want to start the Christian life, yes, you've got to trust in Jesus, but you've also got to be circumcised according to the Old Testament laws given through Moses. In other words, they're saying you can't just have a relationship with God as you are, just trusting in the death of Jesus, just receiving it as a gift by faith. That's what these uh, uh, teachers were telling those young Christians in Galatia. You've got to do something in addition to be worthy of it. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to observe the rules and regulations given through Moses in the Old Testament. Unless you do, you're not saved. And this is a form of legalism. Saying that keeping laws is essential to being saved. So these false teachers, just to recap, they're not denying that we need faith, that we need to trust In the forgiveness gained by Jesus' death on the cross, but they said it wasn't enough, it wasn't sufficient, it needed something in addition to it. It was gospel plus, and in this case, the gospel plus circumcision. Well, the heart of Paul's response to this, what he calls false teaching, is here in Galatians chapter 3. We're against the legalism, Paul insists that we are justified by faith and not works. Where faith, what is faith? I love to picture it as like empty hands that receive a gift. We receive salvation as a gift. We don't earn it as a reward. We don't give anything in order to get it back. Okay. Just a pause. There may be at least a couple of reactions here to what we've heard already. If you are a mature Christian, well-taught, clear grasp of the gospel, we will be well aware that Christianity is a matter of faith and not works of receiving God's grace as a gift. But, but there are often dangers that mean that I think we need this teaching repeated to us. And chief amongst these is that we believe it with our minds, but we don't really believe it in our hearts. And what might be the sign that, yes, we, we of course, agree with Paul in our heads, but we might not have fully believed it uh, in our hearts? Let me suggest a couple. I would say they're ones I know uh, all too well in my experience. Uh, We can become depressed rather than joyful in our Christian lives. That could be one sign. Or we can become judgmental rather than gracious with other believers. So a couple of symptoms. We might agree with what we've heard in our heads, but it hasn't fully impacted on our hearts. We become depressed rather than joyful in our faith. We become judgmental rather than gracious towards others. Depressed rather than joyful... Because actually, we know we are not as good as we should be. So there is this secret lurking fear that God views us with disappointment. As spiritual failures. And therefore, the joy of the gospel gets eroded. Because in our hearts, we think, well, I've got to achieve a certain standard. I know I fall short. So God is... Well, if I'm saved, it's pretty reluctantly on God's part. There's an insecurity, a sense that we've got to, we're always seeking to earn the affection and respect of God and probably of our fellow believers as well. We, want to, we, we feel we need to prove ourselves worthy. And of course, we're never going to succeed uh, in that. And we can be haunted by a depressing sense of failure and inadequacy in our Christian lives. I suggested there was another sign uh, of this, that we might be operating as a legalist in our hearts, and that's the opposite. Not depression because we don't think we're good enough, but judgmentalism because we think we are good enough. So we're kind of blind to our own failings. We think we probably have achieved the standard that God has set, but we can become very quick to look down on any other Christian who we don't think matches quite up to the standard we have achieved. Those in church we don't think are quite good enough. Now, I think that actually that this sort of legalism is probably the number one danger for the keen Christian precisely because we take our faith really seriously. We take God's word seriously. We really want to conform every aspect of our lives to God's rule, to obey uh, his law. But in doing so, it can be so easy for us just to lose our focus on the gospel of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and for it subtly to tip over into some form of gospel plus. To think that actually our good works, our obedience, are really why God accepts us. Not simply because of what Jesus has done. And I wonder if that is why the New Testament has the balance of contents that it does. If you read through the Gospels, who do we find opposing Jesus more than anyone else? Pharisees. Yeah, yeah. They're constantly popping up. There's loads in the Gospels about Jesus kind of interacting, responding to the Pharisees. What did the Pharisees do? They were gospel plus people, focused on the law-keeping, and they displayed just, I think... This mix of judgmentalism and lack of joy. When we uh, uh, get through the Gospels, when we turn to the Book of Acts and the Epistles, the life of the early church, what is the number one problem in the early church that we read about? I'll tell you. It's the one we've just heard about. It's uh, it's uh, these uh, groups of conservative Jewish believers trying to trying to. Uh, persuade people of a gospel plus approach they pop up again and again through the pages of the new testament why is so much of the gospels so much of acts so much of the epistles taken up with this issue because i suspect it is the natural tendency of our hearts and so if we are a keen christian we will need to hear this again and again But of course, it's also absolutely vital if you're not yet a Christian to hear this message because I think legalism is actually most people's default religion. I think in one of the prayers, we had reference to the 2021 census telling us that just under 50% of the population say that they are in some sense Christian. Well, there was one box that was missing Uh, on the census when it came to religion, I think there is one religion that has well over 50% adherence uh, in this country, even amongst those who call themselves Christians. I think it is do-goodism. Have you come across that? Do-goodism? The belief that, well, if there is a God, if there is a heaven, then if I am good enough, I'll get in. That's what do-goodism believes. It's a sort of casual legalism that God will accept me ultimately on the basis of what I do if I am good enough. I went onto the Staines Congregational website this morning, and I discovered there's a little video called "The Good Ometer." If you haven't had a look, why not go visit? Not now while I'm preaching, but. Uh, uh, which makes this very point. And what does that do? It either deprives us of joy or makes us judgmental or both. Well, Paul tackles this particular form of Jewish legalism that he was facing, and he presents four arguments against it in Galatians chapter 3. We get two of them in uh, the verses Uh, that we had read i'm going to focus on those two i'll just mention the other two that come later in the chapter as well four arguments uh, why this gospel plus is wrong first an argument from the experience of the early church verses two and three i would like to learn just one thing from you did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? So Paul is, in effect, saying, look, Christianity didn't begin, didn't begin with disciples sort of committing to some new sort of a moral lifestyle, but believers receiving a transforming gift. He's saying, look, that's what happened at Pentecost, that's what happened when uh, Paul preached the gospel to them for the first time. The Holy Spirit wasn't a gift that they won for their good efforts. He was a gift that they received when, when they believed the gospel message. So Paul is in effect saying, well then how can you be so foolish as to think that God who has blessed you so remarkably in the past without any contribution in the way of observing religious rules on your part, why do you think he's now going to bless you in the future if you start offering him these sort of uh, little religious observances? So first, an argument from the experience of the early church. Second, an argument from the example of Abraham, verse 6. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now for these uh, Jewish opponents uh, in the church Abraham was their hero. Uh, as far as circumcision was concerned I mean he was the one who started the whole thing off the whole uh, the whole show. But Paul is going something like this look what does the bible actually say about Abraham's relationship with God? So yeah, if we were to go back uh, into Genesis what would we read? We discover that it was based uh, was it based on a performance of religious works like circumcision. So did Abraham get circumcised and then God said, well done, now I accept you? No, no. He said, just read, the, read Genesis. It says he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then after that, he gets circumcised. That followed on later, he makes the point uh, in Romans chapter four. So he's saying, look, Abraham's special relationship with God, it wasn't earned. It was an act of divine generosity. Rather like someone giving you a Christmas present by transferring money into your bank account, credited to him as righteousness. And all that Abraham's believed, all his faith did, was to accept the gift. He wasn't saved by circumcision, That didn't happen until many years later. And Paul goes on, uh, if we were to carry on through uh, Galatians 3, he says, look, this principle established so clearly uh, with Abraham of justification by faith, it doesn't end with him. In fact, it was given as an example for us. Verse 7, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham, those who believe. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So, those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So, Paul kind of brilliantly turns, presumably, an argument that these opponents were making, and saying that Abraham, rather than being an ally for these legalistic Judaizers, actually he's the archetypal believer. The promise God gave him was the gospel promise. Nothing to do with Jewish law at all. So there were two other arguments. Let me just mention them. Uh, You may like to go through it another time. An argument from the inevitability of human failure. Again, Paul goes on to say, look, you only have to read the Old Testament law more closely to discover that it tells you that it can't save anybody. Uh, and that's for a very simple reason, because nobody can keep it. As we may be aware, as far as God is concerned, keeping the law, uh, the law from God's point of view, is not like sitting an exam. It's not, you know, 51% and you pass. Uh, the law is more like carrying a sheet of glass, one slip, and it's shattered. <laughs> And then an argument from the purpose of the law. So the law says, if we read it carefully, actually, we we can't keep it. But actually, even in its own terms, Paul says, the Old Testament says it was never intended to save anyone. It was always intended to point us in our need to find full forgiveness and acceptance in Jesus Christ. That was its purpose. Okay. Okay. Let's draw these strands together. How do we start the Christian life? Well, not not by making some sort of spiritual New Year's resolution to be better. In the hope that we might get the 51% pass mark, we might be good enough, just good enough to please God, that we'll sort out our life enough that he'll be pleased with us. Not that way, but the gospel way, by receiving the free gift of forgiveness and acceptance that Jesus has gained for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Christianity. Every other religion and our own hearts want to teach us that in one way or another, we've got to work our way up to God to get the pass mark, to do the right things. But the Bible, and Galatians in particular, tells us that we will never manage to climb the stairway to heaven. And attempts to do so and rely on our own efforts, well, they don't only deprive us of joy and confidence. In the end, they'll deprive us of salvation itself. Many, many, many years ago, before uh, I became a church pastor, I remember hearing a wonderful Australian evangelist called John Chapman. I don't know if any of you uh, ever heard of him. Uh, He died a few years back now. He was known as Chapo to almost everyone. Anyway, I remember uh, him speaking to those of us who were training for ministry. And if I remember correctly, he said this, If you want to know what Christianity is really about, it is the exact opposite of what most people think it is. If you want to know what Christianity is really about, it is the exact opposite of what most people think it is. Okay, so what do most people think Christianity is about? I suspect that even most of that 46.2% of the population who call themselves Christians in the 2021 uh, census would say something like this it's about being a good person it's the religion of do-goodism to use the vocabulary of the Apostle Paul we seek to establish our own righteousness and try to justify ourselves through our good works okay what is the exact opposite well, it starts by acknowledging that we are not a good person. That we can never be good enough to get to heaven. And once we acknowledge that, we, we also acknowledge we need somebody to save us. To take the punishment for our failure. So that we can be forgiven and accepted. What about being a member of a church? What's, what's the common view of what a church member is like well a church i think the common view is it's a place for good people or at least people who think they're good because they probably think we're all hypocrites uh, in here what's the reality pretty much the exact opposite the church is a place for people who know they are not good enough and what flows from this that should lead not to judgmentalism but to humility because we know none of us are good enough. It should lead to joy, not depression because we are the people who have received the greatest and most undeserved gift imaginable. And as people who know that we have received everything What else might, what other effect might that have on us? It makes us people who are ready to share what we have been given. People who delight in remembering what Jesus has done for us. In praising God for what Jesus has done for us. Living our lives in gratitude to him. Longing for others to discover that same liberation and joy of the gospel as they are saved, completely forgiven, fully accepted, not because of anything they have done, but because they have received all that Jesus has done for us. And like that gift under the Christmas tree, it is not something we need to pay for or make a contribution to, but to be received and enjoyed, and treasured. Before I hand back to uh, to Lee and the team to lead us in worship, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I look at, and I suspect most of us uh, are Christians here this morning, Uh, many of us will have been Christians for uh, much or all of our lives, we've been well taught, we know these truths, but there is a constant pull in our hearts towards that gospel plus towards that legalism that would drain us of joy that makes us judgmental as we've heard again paul's gloriously clear setting out of the alternatives the clarity of the free grace of the gospel as we embrace that again, not only in our heads, but in our hearts, would you restore to us the joy of our salvation, the graciousness in the way we live with our brothers and sisters, a light-hearted and freeing delight that all we have has been given And therefore, all we have can be shared. But Heavenly Father, for any here this morning who are not yet a Christian or perhaps uncertain uh, in these matters, as we have heard afresh the offer of complete forgiveness and complete acceptance Because of what Jesus has done, we come to you in our need. We come to you unworthy. We come with our empty hands and say, that is what I need. And we would receive your forgiveness. We would delight in your acceptance. And we ask that you would continue to clarify our thinking And impact our hearts through your Holy Spirit. that We might not only know, but experience and then live out the grace and liberation of the gospel more and more. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.